Hi, my name's John Kasher and welcome to Cash Talk, where there'll be no boundaries and a lot of straight talk. All things money, business, and just everyday stuff. Hey guys, before we get started, just a quick reminder that all the information in this podcast is of a general nature and not tailored to your personal circumstances. So please seek personal financial advice before acting on this information. Hey everyone, and welcome to another session of, um, of Friday Finance on Cash Talk. And today I'm joined by Mason Thorne once again. How are you, Mason? Going well, thanks, John. Going well. That's it, mate. That's it. I'm running a few of these uh, kinds of sessions for everyone. Um, so I got a little bit tongue twisted and thought I, I was about to say something else. So I apologize for the intro. I'm a bit rusty, but uh, all good, all good and well. Now, um, today we're going to be talking about growth stage strategies. And, and what we mean by that is that when you're in growth stage, you've got good surplus. You're paying down debt, you're saving, you're building wealth. Um, but you're now faced with problems. And in the last podcast we were speaking about, we were, we were explaining some of these problems. But today I want to dive a little bit deeper, okay? And we speak to a lot of people in this stage, Mason, and and what's the main things you see that they could do they're doing wrong and maybe they could be doing better yeah yeah you're right i think last week we touched on yeah like we, we're at this stage we're in, we've, we've got that good cash flow we're starting a few different little things we're getting a bit more we want to get more clear on that vision which we spoke about last week but what specifically are we going to be are we going to be doing so i think as we, as we spoke about last time so Doing little bit, little bits of everything, um, which getting clear on that helps with that. But I think what I mostly see people in this stage, they've got their structures a bit, a bit wrong. So they might be paying a bit more tax than they need to. Um, so they're starting investing, which is fantastic, but maybe not investing quite in the right structure. And as we know, John, over the long term, having the right structures in place can mean thousands, thousands of dollars down the line as that compounds as well. So the earlier you get the structures right, the better it's going to be in the long term. So I think that's what I typically see as one of the biggest problems, just getting that structure right. Perhaps the actual strategy is not wrong. It's just maybe we've got to put the investment contributions in super instead of in my own name, for example, or maybe another another structure, maybe a trust, these types of things. Yeah. And, and yeah, the ownership structure is a big one that we see that it's a common problem that constantly is getting, that we're having to un- like fix or work with or whatever is going to be the case. And I think... The other big one is that this this clear strategy. And too many times I see so many people kind of dabbling, you know, putting their toe in the water over here, putting their toe in over the water there, putting their toe in over the water there. And there's just no clear strategy. You know, I was speaking to a potential client today and I'm like, they're like, we've got investments in regards to shares, they're saving, their debt's under control. And I'm like, just out of curiosity, how did you come up with that investment strategy? And they're like, what investment strategy? And I'm like, well, you know, those shares that you've got, like, how'd you go about buying them? How did you go about executing on them? And they're like, oh, you know, we just done some research and and invested. I'm like, okay, well, what's the goal? And as soon as I started to kind of ask the questions that we normally do, it was quickly unraveled that they were literally just throwing cash on the roulette table. And they were a little bit disappointed that their portfolio wasn't performing well at the moment because they just didn't understand the purpose. And I think so having the money in the right buckets 
is also a big problem that needs to be resolved. So having a strategy to understand why your money needs to be in each bucket and having a purpose for that. And I'm not talking about bank account buckets here. This is not what I'm talking about. Your investment strategy requires buckets for safety, for income, and for growth requirements to create the highest probability of you getting to where you need to get to, overlapped by an ownership, a proper ownership structure. And I'm Mason, I'm sure you see the same thing that I'm seeing. Well, I absolutely do. I think I want to touch on the very first thing you said there. So often we see people are trying bits and bobs at everything, throwing money just at just everything. There's no no clear pathway for that money. And I think one of the major reasons I see that as being a problem is we don't want to make the wrong decision. So make a whole bunch of decisions. So if that one pays off, fantastic. If that one's not quite right, that's okay because I haven't gone all in on that strategy. But if you don't mm. go all in on a strategy, you're never going to see its full potential. And mm. this, this fear of getting it wrong, it's it's massive because we're all human. We don't want to get it wrong. Mm. But in my mind, like you probably you can always look back in hindsight and make a better investment decision because investment mm. decisions in hindsight are really, really easy. If you said 10 years ago, you're going to chuck some money into Bitcoin, for example. Mm. Yeah, you would because it's, it's just gone mm. off the rails like in, in terms of mm. growth. But 10 years ago at the time, there's no way you could see that. So yeah. if you went all in on that, like, yeah, you would have done really, really well. But having that clear goal, as you mentioned, of what you want to achieve from your portfolio over time mm. is key. It's really key. Um, whether that's growing your asset base or whether that's creating mm. a second income, as you can tell, like if I want to grow my asset base versus creating a second income, two very, very different objectives. Therefore, yeah. it's going to take two very, very different strategies to get there. Yeah, yeah, and let's let's talk about this, Mark, because you, you're absolutely spot on, and and we'll, we can dive a little bit deeper into this one. Like the other thing is that the strategies in the buckets are also usually fighting against one another. It's like I'm. I'm investing in the stock market, for example, for me to have a deposit on my home in 12 months' time. Like, you've got a growth-orientated investment sitting in a short time frame where you require certainty. So anytime you think about certainty, you need to be thinking about taking that away from growth-orientated environments, okay? Stocks, properties, alternatives, okay? Because none of that's certain, okay? And us as advisors are constantly managing the risk, not managing the risk. You manage the risk, the firms will speak for themselves. But that is a recipe for disaster. And so many times, and I, I, I can't still wrap my head around it, I see so many people putting growth-orientated solutions for short-term certainty requirements. Okay? And so this is a common problem we see. And imagine, and the other thing is, is around having a strategy to make sure that the certain assets are in the safety bucket, the income required, uh, the income required um, to supplement the life that you want is in the income bucket, and the growth orientated assets are sitting in the growth orientated assets and things that can last a whole life cycle. And so this bucketing strategy, it's a common strategy. This isn't a strategy that just me and Mason know. Like this is a common one that's used by some of the greatest financial advisors out there. The problem, it's easy on paper, but hard in theory, okay? Or hard in practice, sorry. Easy in theory, hard in practice. And it, it, it's creating wealth is easier for the knowledgeable, if you want to put it that way, okay? But I, I appreciate how for the novice, trying to create wealth is actually quite hard, yeah? 
because there's all these things that are contradicting with one another. And the other one is then tax that overlays all of that. So that having those buckets done and having those strategies, you've then got this tax tax problem. And people sometimes chase the tax return mm-hmm. rather than the actual outcome. And this is another common that problem that we see. Because these people that are in growth stage, and for the viewers and listeners, if that's you, I'm sure you don't want to make any extra donations to the ATO if you don't need to. And so we sometimes chase the quick win of saving on tax. Yes, we want to save tax. Yes, we want to grow wealth. But not on the, not with that as the forefront goal. The forefront goal is to have the certainty of achieving the goals and aspirations and achieving the requirements of your assets to get to where you need to get to. And a subsequent day of that is to make sure it's most tax effective because that erodes your growth potential. Fees and taxes both. So when we think about a strategy like debt recycling, which happens to be like the buzzword, okay? Debt recycling, especially in today's day and age, will most likely give you a negative uh, cash return, okay? Therefore, put you in a negative gearing scenario. But Mason, I would imagine that you wouldn't want your clients um, exploring a debt recycling strategy for their wedding fund in two years' time. No, not quite, not quite. I think I think you touched on a really great point here. So we, we've got this saying, so do you want to get rich quick or do you want to get rich for certain? Investing takes time. So there's so many get-rich-quick schemes and things to try to get rich really, really quickly, putting your money into growth assets, debt recycling, for example. You see them on Facebook like, oh, we can guarantee your home loan will be repaid in seven years using a debt recycling strategy. It's like that they know nothing about you. How can they possibly say this? Like It's just ridiculous. Um, but we want to – I know for my clients, I know when I'm working with people, I want them to get rich for certain. I want them to be wealthy for certain. I want them to live in the life they want to. I'm not – I'm not here to get you rich in two years. We, you might be able to get there. That'd be fantastic if you could, but that's not my goal. My goal is to make sure you're you're rich for your 10 years away, 20 years away, a few children, all this stuff. And you've done all the things you want to do. That's our job. It's not to it's not to get rich really, really quickly. So yeah, to, to, to speak of that wedding fund in two years' time, you're probably not going to be taking on extra leverage to put into the share market so you can have a, uh, have a really great wedding because you might be having no wedding at all if that's the case. That's it. Now, I'm going to take this one step up. So we've got good cash flow. We've got our buckets sorted out. We've got our assets owned properly. What's next? Okay. So what's next? You've got this all right. What's next? Well, next is about building an accelerated investment solution or investment strategy. But it can only be done once your foundations and your core are being done and what we're talking about is let's say your plan requires you to have a household income of $250,000 and that $250,000 is being allocated into the right buckets going into the right areas and you've landed yourself a $50,000 pay rise okay the household income is now pushed up to $300,000 and essentially you've got an extra $50,000. $50,000. And there's levers you can pull. You can pull into paying down the debt quicker. That's cool. That's an option. Or you can do to beef up your investments. So it's very hard decision for most people. Most people sit there and will be like, wow. Most people, if they're risk averse, 
they'll usually say, whack it into the mortgage. Let's get that paid off as quickly as possible. Others say, no, nah, we want to invest this. Now, the problem is, I don't think that most people go the next step forward and actually plan it out and create different scenarios for both scenarios and then see the most optimum one. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to paint the picture of the decision-making tree that me and Mason kind of go through when someone's coming up with this 50000 so that you guys can get a good understanding about how we think about this. So $50,000. If I take that $50,000 out and whack that into my mortgage, I'm taxed on that money. I'm paying it in after-tax dollars. So... We're about 37 cents in the dollar at the moment is going to the tax office. Could I be, is there a smarter way for me to be able to use those pre-tax dollars? Well, hey, there might be. There might be some catch-up contributions in regards to superannuation so that we can start pushing that into your long-term growth bucket. Really get you to when you're 60 or beyond, be able to get you into a tax-effective environment. Okay, make sure that the assets that sit in the superannuation are aligned to your goals and your risk tolerances and, and where we need that to be. But maybe we do that in pre-tax dollars. Okay, we're able to not wear that 37 cents in the dollar. We wear the 15 on the contribution tax that goes in. Okay, but we might not do the set 37, saving it, saving you 22 cents in the dollar. Okay. Now we might take it out though. We might wear that 22 because what we've realized is that when we do take it out, we're able to essentially grow it in a bucket that you're able to access earlier because it's liquidity now. Okay. Do you need that money? When do you need that money? Do you need it short term? Is there a short term requirement? Are we going to be able to pay off a personal loan debt that's got 15,000, 15% loan on it? Okay, that 15% compounded over a particular time by the time you reach it, which one's better for you? So we've got to look at tax, we've got to look at ownership, we've got to look at goals to make that decision happen. Okay, we might start an accelerated investment. Okay, we might look at debt recycling. There's good cash flows, we've got good LVRs, we need to accelerate that growth bucket. Okay, the longer term growth bucket. So we might deploy a debt recycling strategy, really focused on those long-term growth assets if you've got some good cash flow. Or we might require it that we want to build up an income bucket. Okay, We want something that's going to start to create a, a more passive income. Unlikely for this person. Okay, Remember, we've already got a tax issue. Okay, You wouldn't want to be adding any extra income. But you might be wanting to use some vehicles that can delay that income. Okay, so they build up income so that you can delay it, especially if you're in your 30s or 40s. Well, you know, you might be waiting 30, 40, 30, you know, 20, 30 years until you can access your superannuation. So, you know, we want that liquidity. We want something that we can call on earlier, give you the option to retire earlier as well too. So really we go down the decision tree on after-tax dollars, before-tax dollars, and then where does those kinds of buckets sit? Um, Mason, feel free to jump in. I know me and you sing off the same song sheet, but... You know, anything you'd like to add to that? No, I think I think you've really touched on some good points there. And it's just it really does it's it the person it changes the whole thing. Like what do they want to do, it changes. So a young person you might say, okay, super far away, maybe that's not right for them. But it might be right for some young people. Some young people say, I, I I'm marking this money for my retirement. It's hard to mm -hmm. I know I'm just pitching I put myself in these shoes. I it's hard to mm -hmm. see yourself as a sixty year old person. 
So it's like, how can you how can you possibly pay yourself when you're 60? But some people really like that. So I'm going to earmark that for my, my 60. So it might be right for some 30-year-olds to do that. On the other hand, some 30-year-olds are like, oh, I don't care about that. I want to make sure I've got my house paid off. That's all done. Even though it's not the tax smart thing to do or the tax efficient thing to do, it's right for that person. So we can mm-hmm. talk through those options. Like, okay, you're going to pay a bit more tax, but you're going to feel better having paid off that debt. And that's the that's the result we want to do. That's the thing we want to check off. And mm-hmm. you mentioned as well, like for an investment, so you might be paying a bit more tax if it's invested in your own name, for example. But we might have, and we see this a fair bit, John, where someone might be in their 30s earning a fantastic income, but they hate their job. So it's like, are they going to do that for the next 20, 30 years? Probably not. So is, mm-hmm. they, they, could, they can't, may come to us and say, Mason, John, I want to make sure that I'm setting myself up because I know in 10 years' time, I want to take a step back. I want to step out of the, off the corporate ladder and do my own thing. That might be a massive drop in income in 10 years' time. So I'm going to really make, make hay while the sun's shining in that 10 years. So what can mm-hmm. we do there? We're going to build up an investment outside super to create that, that second income. So when they step off the corporate ladder, they've got another income coming in. So they don't need that higher income. So they can still maintain that lifestyle. So you can see how the intricacies really change depending on the goals. And this is why we spend so much time with clients discussing these things and not just what you want in two years' time or three years' time, but what you potentially want in 10 years' time. And mm. working all these intricacies out and just playing playing, playing devil's advocate sometimes, saying, okay, if we go this path, this might happen. If we go down mm. this path, this might mm. happen. So so many things that's what makes the job so exciting because it's just there's just you just don't know what's going to pop up yeah and you know hopefully for the for the people watching or listening to this you can understand that it is not a one-size-fits-all approach okay it's using all of the tools available in the toolkit to make it specifically designed for you yes there is certain ingredients that make a a great recipe okay and it's starting with the goals and aspirations and having a clear plan and that clear plan about what that takes into consideration. And we've talked about ownership structures. We've talked about buckets. And what I'm also going to get into is I'm now going to get a little bit deeper in regards to investment selection. Okay. So let's assume we've now got the strategies in place. We've got everything battened down. We'll figure out how we're going to flow this money. Okay. Now we're getting into investment selection. Investment selection is, is specifically designed to be lined up to your goals, time horizon, and risk tolerances and risk capacity, okay? And risk appetite. We call it a risk profile, okay? Now, that creates the certainty by looking at all of that, okay? But then it's around, if you go one step further, this ends up leading to a financial product, Okay? And this is the financial product where you're talking about, do you buy shares? Okay, well, what shares? Buy ETFs. What ETFs? If you're buying in property, what property? Okay. Now, funnily enough, I find that the easiest bit out of the whole bit. Okay. And Mason, I don't know how you feel before we get into it, but do you feel that the end solution, once you've done all the upfront stuff and got the strategies and the ownership and all of that, the end bit kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? You, the answer almost presents itself to you. Like when you once you get through all these questions, like the solution becomes obvious once you know the path, if that makes yeah. sense. So 
it's it's like the maps gets built for you and then you just follow the maps. Mm. Oh, if you want to get to here, then you must go down this path. And then it's just, it's just sorted. So that's the, that's the easy part of it. It's getting the map right, if, if that makes mm. sense. And this is where so many people that do not have a financial roadmap are literally walking down this blind. They're literally trying to shoot darts at a dartboard, yeah? And they don't even know where bullseye is. Um, we need to be able to find bullseye for you so you can aim it and shoot it and then practice and practice and practice until you keep eating it. But when you go to products and when you go to solutions, for me, if you've got a long-term goal, you're going to be looking at those long-term assets, okay? Those growth-orientated assets, okay? These are things that have economic cycles. These are things that are going to go up and going to go down. You know, the person I was speaking to this morning was concerned about their, their stock portfolio. Yes, because they required certainty, yeah? We're going through uncertain times as we speak. We're going through a downturn. This is normal. Go have a look at the economic cycles over the last 200 years, and I can assure you there, there's peaks and troughs and busts and booms, and these all happen. If you help, you know, get seriously, get help. Like I'm not, I'm not saying it for no reason. How, how important is your financial future for you? Okay, and if it's important, you've got to do something about it. So we've got to be looking at growth oriented stuff. So growth oriented stuff, you're talking about stocks, you're talking about property, and you're talking about alts. Okay, alts, things like private equity. Okay, things like crypto. If you want to put it in alts, um. Property, you've got obviously direct, you've got listed, okay? Um, you've got stocks, which is Australian stocks or international stocks, um, which obviously, you know, there's a lot of ETFs for these growth-orientated assets as well too. But what are we looking at when we're looking at characteristics? Well, we have to look at the best investors of all time. We've got to look at the recipe and have a look at why their recipe tastes so good, okay? Now, the reason why it tastes so good is because it's been tried and tested over many, many different economic conditions. Now, if you look at Jack Bogle, founder of Vanguard, John C. Bogle, he talks about not trying to find the needle in the haystack, but trying to find the whole haystack. Now, he's talking about being as close to the index when it comes to markets in regards to the stock market as possible. Now, there's plenty of statistics, there's plenty of stats that say that 85% of, um, of active fund managers don't beat the market. Okay, now he did a study that proved much worse over a long period of time. That was the stat I gave you was a 15 year one. Over he done one over nearly 50 years, and the stat was ridiculous. Okay, nearly none did it. I think there was two fund managers over the whole time he was doing it that beat the S and P 500. So when it comes to the stock market, you've got to really be looking at it. Is if you're going to find the needle in the haystack, it's much harder. So if you've got your investment strategy, you want to be making sure that your core financial plan is built on as much certainty as possible. Okay. So when into the selection of those products, if you require a stock allocation to meet a return to to achieve the goals that you need to achieve, you want to try and create certainty in that as possible. Two other main things that you want to be looking into. One. One, you want to be looking at low cost orientated, okay? Or you want to be looking at very strong orientated companies. Now, the strong orientated companies come from the likes of Warren Buffett, okay? Where Warren Buffett is coming and saying, 
APIs, which companies are going to consist It's like John's cut out there. But I think what John was saying is basically we want to make sure that when we're investing in cost one. So that's important to control that. Control the cost there. And John, as before you cut off there, I know you're talking about Warren Buffett's philosophy there. Um, regarding I presume you're going down a path of moat companies. Mm -hmm. And the those companies that have those competitive yeah. advantages that can achieve that long-term growth over time. So, and typically those types of companies are the ones that outperform over time. Hard to find, but he has some set characteristics that he looks for that he's sort of found that mm -hmm. these consistently do outperform when you meet these sort of four different little, I think it's four, I think it's four or five different characteristics. That's all right, mate. That's all right. And yeah, you're bang on. And the reason why that's the case is he's trying to get these companies that weather the storm. Because when you're buying assets, remember, you're buying them to try and keep them for a long-term approach. If you can't see yourself buying something to hold for 10 years, don't think about buying it for 10 seconds. Like, don't get it out of your mind, okay? Literally, guys, we want to be making sure that we're looking, because these are growth-orientated investments. Remember, we've got to go through economic cycles, okay? Now, this is the same when it comes to property, okay? And I wish there was a property... ETF out there that could have like an index of all of the direct residential property. It would be lovely, okay? But as I know today, that's not the case, okay? For people that are listening within yeah, innovation ideas, maybe they can make a benchmark on, on it. But the reality is, is that when it comes to property, you've really got to go down the moat-orientated quality asset kind of scenario. You can't be looking at trying to find the needle in the haystack either because when you're buying property, you're also looking to hold it for a particular period of time. Now, these are normal kind of fundamental strategies. On top of those strategies, once you've got your core done and you can be able to get to where you need to get to and you're pretty certain and you've got a high percentage of probability that you're going to achieve your goals, yes, you can step it up. Yes, you might be able to take a little bit of flavor and take a little bit of a thing in something that you have interest in, okay? Yes, you might be able to do some property flipping or some renovations to manufacture wealth in property if that's what you want to do. But only play with fire if you can be burnt, okay? And what I mean by that is you don't want to be risking your financial future for the sake of just risking your financial future, okay? There, there needs to be like a, my, I'm financially free now, yeah, or I'm very close to be financially free, now I can allocate some. And I like to call this kind of mad money, okay? This is the money where you've got more at your disposal and you put a certain allocation to it. Now, as you can see, even the way I'm talking about that, it kind of sounds like gambling. And the reality is, but it is gambling, okay? I'm having some bad internet connection. Sorry about that, Mason. You there? Yeah, still here, still here.
Yeah, I was just saying that. I was just saying that the allocate the the allocate is okay, and the reality is of it is that you should only be getting there with money that you can risk. So, and really, you're looking for those quick wins. Okay, you're looking for those opportunities to jump on. But I I know that for our clients, we're not going to be putting them in that situation unless we're bang on shore or they've got enough wealth that they're either already financially or, you know, very close to getting there. And we still wouldn't be allocating any of their core money before we could be getting to that. Don't you agree? 100% agree. I think what's funny about what you're saying here as well is we wouldn't consider until they're financially free. And then once you get to this point of financial freedom, you probably in your own mind, you probably should be thinking, I don't need to take this risk anyway. So why am I doing it? No, it's, it's a bit of a funny one. Like, once we're there, why take that extra risk when you don't need to? That's like, I, I know for me, my investment strategy is probably the most vanilla thing ever, but it works for me. Like, mm-hmm. and that's all that matters. Like, it mm-hmm. works for me. I know it's simple. It's it's all automated. I don't, I don't really think about it, to be perfectly honest, at this point in time. Like, when I need to level yeah. up to the next stage, then I'll have another thing. So, okay, is this still working for me? But... I know it's for the long term. It's just every month goes in, goes in, goes in. It's just it's just simple and it just really works for me. I'm not trying to find and not to say I haven't ever done that. I know in my early twenties I was I was looking for companies. I was trying to find different things. I found that that was an easy way to uh to lose a bit of money. I did yeah, got you get some wins, but the losses really hurt you. They they do they do, and I think what it comes down to is. Obviously, you can hear from my tone of voice that, you know, I've, I've, I've pushed people through all stages before, okay? I've done it. I've seen it happen, okay? And the only reason you allocate in those, those situations, if you can stick to your automated investment system, okay, and the money you're allocating does not alter your automated investment system. So getting to the person that has the $50,000 extra, okay, that was well above your plan and was well above where you needed that to be, well, maybe you might want to allocate some, okay, or you can allocate some, okay? So remember, you just don't stuff with the actual plan itself. And I know this is easy for me to say, but it's very, very hard, hard in practice. And this is where the coaching and accountability and objectivity is so important to stay consistent. And Mason makes his investment strategy sound really, really simple, but it takes the consistency, takes the behaviours to get to where that where he's where he's going. Okay. So on that point, sorry about the launch internet today. Um, as we can see for the viewers, I'm not exactly home today. I'm I'm, I'm somewhere else. Um, but Mason, thank you very much. That was really, really good to get deep into that. And showing people that how much important it is about the, the preparation before you get to the financial solutions, the decision making we go down, and around the around the selection of the investments, around the philosophies you take to select them, are so important. But they actually reveal themselves from the preparation that we do to get there. So, Mason, thanks very much for jumping on again. Cheers, mate. No worries. Thank you. And thank you, everyone. Cheers. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cash Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to learn more about me, jump onto my Instagram at, at thejohncasher 
and you'll find me there or at my website at www.johncasher.com.au. Thanks for listening. Cheers.